Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this podcast series where we share conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice which I hope will be applicable for medical practices. For Australian audiences, listening also gives eligibility for your CPD. Log in and add this as an activity. You may also consider journaling, reflection and adding to the review and performance section in CPD. On this podcast episode, we're talking with an expert about autism. And the concept of autism continues to evolve with our current approach to diagnosis and management differing significantly from 1908, when the word first appeared to describe a subset of patients with schizophrenia who were withdrawn and self-absorbed. Child psychiatrist Leo Kanner was credited with the first correct description in 1943 reporting 11 children who were highly intelligent but displayed powerful desire for aloneness and an obsessive insistence on persistent sameness. He named this early infantile autism. A year later, in 1944, Hans Asperger described a milder form of autism now known as Asperger syndrome, where the boys he described were highly intelligent but had trouble with social interactions and specific obsessive interests. A major setback came in 1967 with psychologist Bruno Bettelheim's theory of refrigerator mothers implying parental responsibility and causality through a lack of shared love. This psychoanalytic approach to explaining autism caused major damage to the mental health of parents struggling to provide their children love and care and was extremely cruel in its ignorance. Similarly, forged research and subsequently retracted 1998 Lancet article authored by the deregistered Andrew Wakefield, significantly damaged community understanding of this condition, whilst creating unwarranted fear and panic regarding measles, mumps and rubella vaccine and the use of thimerosal, which is a mercury-based preservative now withdrawn from all vaccines to allay public fears. Well, by 1977, twin studies helped us to understand that autism is caused by genetics and biological differences in brain development. Since 2013, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, folded all subcategories of autism into one umbrella diagnosis now referred to as Autism Spectrum Disorder, ASD. Autism is much more common than may be appreciated. Prevalence figures that referred to 4.5 per 10,000 in the 1960s have been replaced by newer estimates suggesting that 1 in 59 children, at 16 per 1,000, present with Autism Spectrum Disorder. The core diagnostic features include issues in areas of social and communicative interaction alongside the presence of restricted and or repetitive patterns of behaviour. Additionally, an integral component of autism relates to alterations in social cognition affecting emotion recognition and social attention. No biomarkers nor specific radiologic abnormalities are evident. Exact Ethological factors are still unclear, however, limited neuropathic studies have revealed differences in cerebellar architecture and connectivity, as well as abnormalities in the limbic system, frontal and temporal lobes. And genetic factors play a role in autism susceptibility, with siblings of patients in ASD carrying an increased risk of diagnosis compared to population norms, and a much higher, although not absolute, concordance of autism is noted in monozygotic twins. Shorter and longer Interpregnancy intervals have also been reported to increase ASD risk. In this podcast, I was curious to learn more about autism, its diagnosis, and approaches to management. It was a great privilege to have a conversation with child and adolescent psychiatrist, Associate Professor Sumya Basu, 
who has a special interest in developmental disabilities, including autism spectrum disorder. Suma is a fellow of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists and is a senior lecturer at the Department of Psychological Medicine, Monash University, with other keen interests in youth, mental health and developmental trauma. Please welcome Suma to the podcast. Suma, Dr. Suma Basu, welcome to Everyday Medicine. Suma, I really do appreciate you making time to come and talk with me because it's a busy schedule on a very important subject, the subject of autism. Uh, you're a psychiatrist involved in uh, child psychiatry and adolescent psychiatry, so I'm very interested to, to hear a little bit about your journey and then if we can launch into your understanding and you can educate me and everyone who's listening to this uh, about this very important subject of autism Take us through it, uh, Suma. Where, what your journey, sir? Take take me through this. Um, look, I'm I'm uh, Swamiya Basu. Uh, um, I'm from India. Uh, you know, I trained um, uh, to be a, a psychiatrist in India. You know, I was interested in autism uh, right from the beginning. You know, I'm I remember seeing a person with autism. Uh, you know, when uh, my cousin is a psychiatrist, and I I was in his clinic. You know, uh, in my medical school days and I, I saw this fascinating individual with some um, you know savant skills he could just ask him uh, what was 21st of April two th- you know 1262 in one second he would be able to say that it was a Friday or something like that so oh, it was yeah. quite a fascinating experience seeing a person with autism but he spent most of this time under his bed you know but he had this phenomenal memory and uh, he would not go to school and I was thinking what what is going on here you know, so um, and then I did my medical, uh, after finishing my medical school, I joined, uh, you know, uh, training in psychiatry in one of the big institutes in India called Central Institute of Psychiatry. And I was, uh, I was always uh, interested in child psychiatry. Um, and, you know, and uh, the journey began from there. Um, you know, I was, while doing child psychiatry, I got interested in autism because it was one of the most fascinating uh, you know, uh, presentations. I remember one of the patients that really ignited my interest and interest in a lot of other people. It was about 25 years ago. This patient, uh, he was a 20-year-old 20, 20 male uh, who um, came to our our hospital. It's a ter- super tertiary hospital. It's like a tier five service, you know, uh, like we don't have anything like that in Australia. It's a center of excellence. It caters to one one half of India. You know, and, and and people from Bangladesh and even Nepal comes comes to that center. Mm-hmm. So this is this person comes uh, from interstate, and he already has a diagnosis of schizophrenia. He had a tardive dyskinesia with a hand movement, and he comes and sits down, and he says, "I asked him what is your name, and he he says, who are you? I've not talked to you. You are, you have to ask me. You have to answer my questions." He said, "What? I've never heard such a thing from a patient." And then he asked me questions like, oh, you choose politics or sports? <laughs> I asked, yes. I said, I said, uh, politics, you know, and he said, all right, you know, what's the opposition party of New Zealand? And I said, sports. Then he said, you know, uh, in, in 1974, Gary Kasparov and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, with that, uh, what was the first move? Uh, yeah, yes. My goodness. You no. Know, so then, then, uh, 
I, I, I could answer one of the questions. And then he said that, no, I'll talk to you. But this person who was diagnosed with schizophrenia, had no symptoms of schizophrenia, but he's this phenomenal memory, brilliant man, yeah. could only finish year eight, got bullied all his life, you know, had massive problems with coordination and uh, difficulties. And I thought, what the hell is going on here? And, you know, we, we educated ourselves about our presentation of adults with Asperger's for the first time. He was absolutely brilliant, no social skills, no social tact. And uh, I had this opportunity of being a senior, junior resident, actually. And I had, I just, uh, he was admitted to our hospital and I was, I just worked with him quite closely. And that really, you know, ignited my interest in autism. After coming to Australia, you know, I uh, I did my training and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, passed the exams and then I did my more training in child psychiatry. And uh, I've worked in Gippsland for many years. I was, um, you know, the in-charge psychiatrist of the autism assessment team. Um, and after uh, finishing my stint at Gippsland, many years actually, you know, uh, about 15 years in Gippsland. And then I joined Monash about five, six years ago. and. I actually um, am the psychiatry in charge of uh, the neurodevelopmental assessment team called the Endeavor Assessment Team, which is a multidisciplinary assessment team uh, where we see um, really complicated cases. It's a 0 to 25 service, but we see the most complicated cases um, being referred to us where there is a lot of developmental trauma, other comorbidities. Severe psychiatric problems, personality disorders, and then we have to really find out whether there is an underlying autism there or not. Mm. You know, in Monash Health, there are two autism assessment clinics. One run by the pediatricians; they um, run with the run, uh, run a brilliant team with multidisciplinary assessments. Most probably, more early uh, early cases of autism. But uh, our team is a psychiatry team where it comes. Uh, but the most complicated cases, uh, you know, uh, with uh, even even when the pediatricians are struggling, they would refer this to our team, and we would uh, we will have to do that assessment. So, you know, I, it's it's I really feel privileged that uh, a passion that I had uh, almost, you know, before joining uh, before joining psychiatry, I've been able to do this um, as a as a profession on a daily basis, and uh, and I work with one of the best teams in, in the in the state, I, sh- I should say. I think it, you 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 have a real reputation for uh, for this as well, Suman. Very well respected, and I, I'd like to ask you about your look. How we in clinical practice will will diagnose autism? What are the key features that we should be looking for? You mentioned that patient that you first came across who knew about sporting events and political events to a high degree, so high intelligence, some social dislocation. And there was that film with Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man, which sort of um, I think maybe maybe brought this to the fore. Uh, everyone started understanding something of autism by what, who watched that film. But what are the key features that we should know about? I should definitely, I mean, that, that Rain Man is definitely a, a movie and, and that, that acting was just brilliant. It yeah. made two things famous, autism and Qantas, you know. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so it, it, was, it was a great advertisement for Qantas as well, you know, um, because he wanted to go from New York to uh, Las Vegas via Melbourne, you know, yeah. so because Qantas had never crashed. Um, That's right. And he had a severe phobia. I mean, that movie is, uh, you know, absolutely 
uh, really pictures the Canarian autism, the classic autism that we have talked about. But the definition of autism has changed over the last uh, many years. And it has gone through dramatic changes, you know, a condition which was fairly uncommon. You know, when uh, we were doing medicine, Mm. five in 10,000 has become one in 50, you know, and so... Is that through better diagnosis, do you think, and and, uh, recognition of the the condition? Uh, I diagnosis better... Not that it's more prevalent. It's not that it's becoming more prevalent, you don't think. uh, it, It is that... That is the biggest controversy. Whether it is becoming more prevalent or not is uh, is uh, is a big controversy. And a lot of people would say, is it, uh, you know, uh, there are lots of hypotheses around its increase, you know, but there is better services available, better research available. The, the spectacular increase in the numbers in the last uh, 10 years have been on girls on the spectrum. You know, so okay. the the you know uh, the increase it's almost 190 percent increase in in diagnosis in girls on the spectrum mm-hmm. and uh, the 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 cornerstone of uh, autism assess diagnosis is that there are two major symptoms number one is difficulty with socialization and communication which constitutes of three things number one social and emotional reciprocity you know it is about being mindful of the other person's mind to be able to have good perspective taking understanding uh, what the other person is trying to say or think you know so this perspective taking which is online and intuitive you know and which which happens as a conversation or a communication exchange is happening is sometimes a bit off in, in people with autism and that is in a whole in a big spectrum so we call it a spectrum you know so it, it can be totally non-verbal to uh, where where uh, you know total non-verbal to uh, to people who just would talk at you talk about their interests you know and and their own needs being met mm-hmm. to people who can talk about their topics of interests and totally oblivious about communication to verbose communication on a subject of his own interest without being interested to others so you can see you know the nuance is lost you know so that is number one number two is non-verbal language and gestures and facial expressions so you know understanding other person's body language eye contact understanding whether you know um, whether um, how the person is feeling from their tone of their voice. It's not the big emotions only, but the finer nuances of the emotions is missed. And again, it is in the spectrum. You know, for obviously severe autistic, they don't get uh, anything. For people who are subtly autistic, you know, subtle uh, symptoms, but it can be significantly impairing, you know. Uh, though the, the impairment from the clinical perspective is subtle, in, in daily living, it is very difficult, you know, because where you know they cannot they can't understand the other person's emotional states uh, you know uh, without without them without the big exaggerated emotional states mm-hmm. so that is the second symptoms of socialization and often they also have very limited facial expressions so it is difficult yeah. to read them as well poor gestures poor um, you know uh, uh, poor nonverbal language 
And the third thing is about making and maintaining friendship. You know, so this these three symptoms have to be a must in a diagnosis of autism. Uh, then we have the restrictive repetitive behavior. You know, uh, so there can be uh, hand flapping movements when excited. You know, which which can be normal in 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 a whole early developmental period, but it it is consistent and severe and significant. You know, so that that is quite visibly different when you know uh, spinning toe walking you know uh, it's called steaming behavior you know that is quite evident then restrictive repetitive is so instead of being interested in a whole play they can be interested in one part of an object and you know uh, instead of playing with a with a doll they, they're much more focused in arranging the toys and lego pieces and um, you know other 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 um, color coding the the uh, you know and and arranging rather than playing in a more imaginative manner number 3 is you know difficulty with change you know a sudden change can be so destabilizing that it can cause a severe panic like symptoms and that can be one of the biggest problem and fourth and most important is like the changes you know if there is a change in their um, you know uh, sitting arrangements they can get upset you know uh, that can be and, and and the fourth most important thing is sensory sensitivity this is the number one cause of children becoming dysregulated and clinical presentation you know they can have loud react i mean uh, noise can cause problems you know uh, hearing you can be very sensitive about hearing you can be sensitive about smells taste eating you know that is one of the biggest problem we are seeing a number of patients presenting with eating disorder with autism you know there is a condition called arfid you know avoidant restricted food intake disorder you know so patients are presenting with they would just eat white food nothing else you know and that can cause a major problem so you know uh, the sensory sensitivity can be touch sensory seeking behavior sensory avoiding behavior you know and um, so as you can see the symptoms are almost not linked to each other you know uh, so at one end we have got socialization problem and communication problem at the other end we have got this restrictive repetitive behavior so uh, you know uh, and but the socialization has to be the most uh, the, all the three symptoms of socialization has to be there and out of the four symptoms and restrictive repetitive behavior any two we have to make to meet the criteria of autism spectrum disorder uh, according to dsm5 of a diagnostic classification is Asperger's a part of the uh, autism spectrum disorder? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely a part of the autism spectrum disorder. And for the first, you know, for the many years we were trying to figure out, you know, the difference between Asperger's versus autism. In in the the main difference used to be that with autism there was it, there was a severe language disorder as well. You know, so no language acquisition before the age mm-hmm. of two. That and, and for autism. For Asperger's, they can be verbose. They can be like little professor. They can talk extremely articulate, but totally uh, not in sync. You know, mm-hmm. so they can talk at you. They can talk like a professor. They can mm-hmm. they can be very very advanced in their vocabulary. But and then the other other symptoms, there are very subtle differences. You know, coordination difficulties are much more common. Used to be much more common. Nowadays, we don't want to differentiate. We don't differentiate. You know, but. Uh, we have been we have consumed the, the Asperger disorder has been uh, consumed within the autism spectrum disorder. But Asperger's was a core part of autism spectrum disorder in the previous diagnostic system DSM four. Right. 
It, the brain is very complicated, isn't it? And for so many things can go a little astray and throw us off what we anticipate, what we what we consider to be normal. For for people with autism, you mentioned there that they can take fright, and it, it, if they're moved out of their normal, comfortable environment, they they may develop panic and respond in a way that's not considered to be normal. What about empathy? Uh, are we saying that they don't tend to have the feelings that most of us as humans do? Do, do we know if they get offended and and feel that? Is that something you can communicate? Can you, can you communicate that by questioning, uh, you know, through your experience, by questioning? Or no, it is. It is. This is the best question, Luke, about empathy. What is empathy? You know, uh, as I've said, this is a big spectrum. You know, at one end, we have got, um, you know, severe autism, nonverbal, where you do not, cannot comprehend what is going on. It is one of the most difficult conditions and medicine will stop. You know, it's just unbelievably difficult for the families, for the parents, for the, I mean, it's just, you know, nonverbal children just yelling and screaming and rocking. That is one end. And the other end, we have got absolute geniuses, you know. Um, yeah. A lot of Nobel laureates and yes. uh, you know, people who are, who are in every field uh, of excellence. You know, so this is the spectrum that we are talking about. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about empathy, we talk about two, two types of empathy. You know, uh, one is the intuitive online empathy, you know, which is, you know, we, we talk about the emotional empathy, you know, straight away. They, you know, as soon as this is happening, a, a person is sad or the feeling state of the other is totally understood straight away uh, emotionally. The other one is called the cognitive empathy, logically understanding that this person may be feeling sad if this is happening, you know. In autism, you know, there the cognitive empathy is intact. When they get it, they get it. You know, they they when they can figure out that the person, if I have done this, uh, you know, and this this person is feeling all right. If I might feel very offended by my behavior, then they can feel that oh my god, what have I done? And they can feel full empathy. However, the emotional intuitive empathy is is lacking in a spectrum. So. There are various grades of lacking. It's not just black and white. So not getting is uh, not very black and white. So, but they have they have that impact of uh, online empathy. It is opposite to psychopathy. You know, in a in a psychopath, they will easily understand how the person is feeling, feel the other person is feeling very easily, but they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn. They in fact manipulate the other persons because of that. Empathy, you know, and they totally manipulate manipulate the other person's vulnerability and and destroy the other person. In autism, it is slightly opposite. They they might not get it, but once once they get it, they can really empathize and you know they can they can feel the feeling and then as a result they can feel heartbroken about their own behavior, you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and the and the problems that they've created. So uh, and that is very, very important uh, in therapy and uh, that can be nurtured, that can be we can work on that, you know, and because because uh, we can break up the feeling states of the other person in in steps, you know, and that that can be very uh, very workable with with people with especially uh, you know high functioning or you know uh, grade one autism, the, the mild milder version of so called autism. Uh, it can be utilized in therapy as a result. Suma, do we understand 
anything about the pathophysiology and about the or the etiology of this condition? What, what what is it? Take us through what's understood. Look, I mean, this is the holy grail of psychiatry. Full stop. Fifth, I mean, eighty to ninety percent of research money on uh, child psychiatry is on autism. You know, for last many years, this has been the holy grail of psychiatry. You know, so we have had lucky, uh, you know, leaky gut hypothesis. We have, we have tried to find out genetic causes of autism. Mm. We have tried to find, uh, you know, whether it has been um, caused by any, uh, you know, chemicals or vaccine or, yes. you know, um, so many different hypotheses. But I think at this point of time, we have almost given up to find uh, one factorial etiology. Genetics definitely play a role. There are high incidence of autism and monozygotic twins compared to dizygotic twins. It runs in families. Yes. And whole neurodevelopmental spectrum run in families. You know, so autism, uh, you know, autism, dyslexias, specific learning disabilities, intellectual disability, um, developmental coordination disorder, speech and language disorder, and ADHD, they are the they they all run in families. So genetics is a you know, but it is. I mean, psychiatry is not single gene. Uh, it is much more polygenic uh, inherited. There are number of among uh, the known genetic causes. Number one would be fragile X syndrome. You know, neurofibromatosis. Uh, you know, uh, these are uh, you know uh, trisomy twenty one. There are a trisomy eighteen. So there are few. You know, at one point of time when we were going bonkers about genetics, you know, few about decades ago, we were trying to find out the links between autism and genetics. But it is uh, so. There are some broad tuberous sclerosis. There are few um, big genetic conditions where it is uh, much more represented with autism. You know, but uh, but the subtle manifestation of autism, it is not. From a neurobiological point of view, brain and autism—it's a—it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, but it is a—it is a clinical diagnosis, a fully clinical diagnosis. You know, it is not a brain-based diagnosis by any stretch of imagination. Right. Right. So the brain areas which are implicated are from cerebellum to the corpus callosum to the limbic system, amygdala. You know, and but the findings are not very consistent. There is a sex difference between uh, between males versus females. The growth of the brain, the cortex, you know, that can grow much faster. So the head circumference can become much more. It is ultimately a disconnection syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you know, uh, as the brain as the brain develops, you know. Uh, the the rate of brain development is a lot faster, you know, and the the growth of the brain is a lot faster. So the head circumference, but the the differentiation is not there. So mm-hmm. with normal brain, we have, um, you know, the we have with a normal brain development, uh, we have much more specialization because the the white matter white matter cortex is going through the corpus callosum becomes much it becomes it solidifies um, the um, you know the brain areas you know because it is a uh, so autism has got long track problems they can they can have one memory which is brilliant but they cannot associate the associative learning is difficult 
And as a result, they've got coordination difficulties. Often there is major coordination difficulties, yes. you know, shuffling, right. gait, gait problems, yes, sir. playing okay. sports, writing, handwriting, riding a bike, yeah. learning how to uh, say the time, midline activities can be difficult. So clinical man- manifestation is there, but it is a, it is like a disconnection syndrome. You know, so not being able to uh, learn by association, but can have brilliant memories of one area. You know, uh, one of my patients was interested in East European Jewish architecture. You know, so so this sort of specific areas of interest, which is totally obscure and not shared by others, yes. and and they will drag the conversation into that topic which no one is related relating yes. to. And when you are not interested in that, they can get offended. So that can cause interpersonal difficulties. Yes. So yes. so it can be understood from that. Uh, you know, certain parts of the brain is very developed, other parts are not developed, but there is a disconnection, yes. you know, and, um, you know, coordination and cerebellum is very much implicated. And, and through this, we have we have understood the role of cerebellum in emotion, emotional regulation and all other aspects, you know, so uh, very, uh, we're getting, you know, uh, at one point of time, it was thought that we will be able to do a brain scan and diagnose autism, it doesn't happen like that, you know, and it is a mm. difficult clinical process, you know, it is multidisciplinary, we have to do speech assessment, OT assessments, IQ assessments, educational assessment, then a thorough psychiatric assessment, then we have to sit down and have a big debate among each other to see, and then by the time they're coming to us, uh, if they are undiagnosed for a long time, they would have a lot of difficulties, mm. traumas, and and then there would be family history because it's a genetic condition. So if there is a family member with autism as well, a parent with autism which has not been diagnosed, you know, the child will be growing in an environment where they are misunderstood or not understood and that can cause so much of relationship trauma. So, you know. so uh, th- that's very helpful to discuss and to, to hear that background to it. Once you've, you've made that assessment and it's multidisciplinary, you're now faced with... Uh, in your case, adolescent or child, that, that and the family that all together will need a lot of help. What, what can you do? What what can be done clinically to Look, help? I mean, uh, the, the early diagnosis is very important, you know. And then even after the, uh, in for late diagnosis, often the diagnosis itself can be of great therapeutic benefit. You know, yeah. the yeah. the the parents. Uh, can get a sense of relief that uh, you know that, that it is not not them as a bad parent. It's not their parenting, not the refrigerator parents. Their, that not their parent, not their parenting. You know, yeah. uh, not their parenting that is to be blamed. I will come to that concept of refrigerated parenting later. You know, this is very important. We need to take it separately. Yes. You know, but uh, that uh, so they can understand that you know that that uh, it, it is there was a genuine brain-based disorder which was not there not their fault as such. And the child can be benefited as well because the child then, you know, comes with, uh, you know, the idea that uh, that that they they have a genuine neuro-brain-based problem which was, which was uh, you know, beyond their capacity. You know, and, and that can be of great benefit, uh, you know, for the child as well, you know. So, uh, you know... Uh, um, and hence, uh, you know, that, that diagnosis itself can be of great help. After the diagnosis, we can get the comorbidity as well. You no, know, so patients often have, you know, ADHD or depression that can be definitely managed. The comorbid conditions can be managed. 
the patients can also you know get help through occupation therapists speech therapists you know in in communication therapy to for them to understand how to communicate better they can have group therapy and social skills training you know they can have the the ot's can be of great help to understand sensory sensitivities and how to manage the sensory sensitivities um, you know the hearing and all these things those modifications can be of great help the schools can make a big uh, you know modification to the behavior for uh, you know in, in the change in the environment that can be of great benefit you know the a strength based approach can be implemented that can be of great help so uh, you know essentially it is a condition where you cannot really cure it but you can manage the manage the environment as much as possible yes. psychoeducation school yes. you know and, and now australia you know we are uh, really a lucky country because it is the only country where we have ndis yes. national disability insurance scheme mm. and uh, and uh, you know i was going through statistics it is being shown that almost 70% of ndis money is going to autism you know so which is uh, which is the burden on our uh, society cash you know uh, taxpayers burden but i feel that you know in the past the amount of uh, difficulties that these families have, to, have faced you know uh, based on that i think it is a it is a great initiative you know to improve the quality of life that's a huge i didn't appreciate it, it was 70% uh, that that's a very substantial figure isn't it from from the yeah. US budget which is very substantial in itself um t- tell us a little bit about that that parenting because there was a lot of shame that used to be thrown on parents and as you've said yeah. we've now named the diagnosis that makes patients and parents and perhaps so, family so feel better this is something uh, you know psychiatry uh, unlike rest of medicine you know has We, we still are in a stage of lot of lot more um, because we are, i feel that we are dealing with a, the most complicated an you know, organ in the whole um, human body you know the yeah. manifestation of the most complicated yeah. organ possibly you know, in the universe possibly in, 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 the, in, the, in the possibly known universe yeah. you know we are dealing with a human consciousness we are dealing with interpersonal you know it is you know yeah. it is not just sometimes we see patients who are impacted by a parental mental illness trauma you know and Uh, adverse childhood events and 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 things like that so so we cannot have a grand theory you know so the the disease model you know the the micros my microscope model of of you know of germ theory and all did not hold true in psychiatry you know and mm-hmm. yeah. um, and you know uh, in the history of psychiatry the, the biological part of psychiatry was evolving with psychoanalysis and during the heydays of psychoanalysis everything was everything in psychiatry even in medicine was understood through uh, psychoanalytic theories you know yeah. asthma hypertension thyroid myxedema yeah. i mean like so yeah. many things were seen through psychoanalysis you know um, and 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 lot of people you know uh, childhood asthma people were t- taken away from the parents because it was caused uh, because of a bad mother you know being parenting as a problem same happened with autism you know and uh you know the two great people you know leo kana who was the child psychiatrist who diagnosed the first patient of uh, leo kana you know uh, he, he named autism and 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 then uh, you know uh, bruno bettelhan you know he wrote this book called empty fortress you know and he he, uh, he according to his hypothesis or it was the psychodynamic thinking that it is the refrigerated emotionless mother who uh, who create autism in 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 the children so 
so the so the families who had um, you know uh, had autism had uh, you know had so much of uh, stigma around and this devastating devastating continued till the late 1970s yes. you know and then there was uh, this this um, psychiatrist you know who whose own son had autism and he took it on and proved that yes. it is not the so that that theory was that theory gave such a bad reputation to psychoanalysis mm. in autism now we do not I mean, and for next 20 30 years we don't talk about attachment trauma and autism together and that is also done a big disservice to the to the whole um, area because the people who are working seriously in autism don't talk about trauma the people who are working on trauma don't talk about autism but we clinician we hapless poor clinicians we see both all the time and and in my clinic i see uh, you know i have to differentiate between the two and often i see both you know and then i see both of them because if a, if a person has neurodevelopmental disorders they are much more prone to negative events in life yes they, yes. they would be bullied more they will yeah, not be talk more yes. they will be they, they are much more uh, you know um much more likely to be dis- having much more uh, negative life events have two partners who are more abusive mm-hmm. then have so children who yeah. have can be on the spectrum and that can cause more difficulty and misunderstanding misintunements and and that can cause a problem you know so I, you know in psychiatry we unlike rest of i mean my medicine has gone through all these things many years ago and still going through some of those things in psychiatry it is quite um you know quite uh, those those big questions and big shifts in in biological psychiatry versus psychoanalysis and social psychiatry and you know all these big things are um you know and uh, you know are very um, just come 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 in big clashes you know and uh, and so from a from a psychodynamic thinking uh, you know where mothers were blamed to you know going into uh, you know everything organic and it is just a brain based you know the brain without mind and the brain is a interface of interactions you know so uh, and it can i mean if if a child does not look into the mother and smile at the mother despite the mother being so kind and doing everything for the child what sort of an impact will that have on the mother you know so the so there is lots of studies showing that Uh, you know parents with children with autism have higher rates of depression anxiety yeah. you know stress and there and there will be a bidirectional effect you know yeah. so yes. the depressed mother will be more withdrawn that can cause more attachment problems with the autistic yeah. child and that can yeah. be a problem so it is a recurrent problem you know so yeah. it's yeah. interesting you mentioned how often there there are very dominant uh, personalities that have a theory which may lead us down a very like in the inappropriate pathway and it's difficult to challenge those ideas often medicine isn't as open perhaps it's more open now than it used to be but not as open to debate and conversation and independent sort of thoughts as it perhaps should have been but that, yeah. that must have been a terrible time for those parents who were being blamed for the outcome and their children all they were doing was loving their children and uh trying to get the very best outcomes for them um where do you see the future uh in terms of management we've talked about you know diagnosing and managing the comorbidities I, I think for, uh, the future do you think the future what is happening and the future is here at this moment you know we are having this uh, you know massive increase in diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder 
Yes. You know, the girls on the spectrum are now coming out of the, you know, woodwork, you know, and, and we need to be understanding that all the research that has happened has happened with boys. Girls tend to have more subtle symptoms. They use social camouflaging. They use social mimicry more. And uh, our understanding of yes. the nuance part of the autism is expanding every day, every day. You know, it's just, you know, we are seeing high incidence of autism in eating disorder mm-hmm. in, in people who have got gender dysphoria. There is such a huge increase in autism spectrum disorder. You know, uh, the awareness uh, and uh, neurodiversity becoming mainstream. Uh, you know, people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates are coming out about their uh, neurodevelopmental journey as well. So it is becoming much more normalized. We mm-hmm. have got, you know, after Rain Man's super success, we have got, I mean, you cannot make comedies about any other psychiatric condition apart from autism, you know. So mm-hmm. you've, you've got the good doctor. You, you can have 10, 15, uh, you know, uh, series all across the world which has got, you know, autism as a, as a theme. So it is becoming, uh, I feel quite excited in this field now that it is becoming much more mainstream and people are becoming much more aware, you know, uh, in, in um, you know, um, in in children's cartoons and uh, you know places like Thomas the Thomas the Tank, you know, say they they are introducing characters with autism. You know, children mm-hmm. children are uh, you know my daughter, uh, you know, eight years old. She she you know uh, just sat down and thought that you know the other day uh, other day just said that is is Elsa autistic, Daddy? You know, and then I said, why would you say that? And she said, this is these are the symptoms. And I said, how do you know? Because she is sitting with a class, one of the fr- friends in the school who has got autism. She's got lived experience of growing up with person with autism and could really, really link this. And, 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 and the children in the classrooms are being treated in such a graceful manner. And the, and the peers are, you know, being taught to respect yes. and, and, and accept uh, autism. So, I feel that uh, you know, you know, they they're, they're exceptionally talented individuals. If their talents can be, you know, uh, you know, picked up and uh, you know, utilized, it can it can do great things. But I feel very excited, especially in Australia, where we are. Uh, I think there's no other example in the entire world, you know, where we have such uh, a brilliant service. There there can be huge amount of conservative push towards eliminating NDIS, but this is the best thing that can ever happen to our country like this. You know, we are leading the world. Yes. I think we've just gone through, it's it's an app that we're talking because I think World Autism Day was, was was it on Sunday, the second? Second. Second of April, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great that that conversation is now being held worldwide and people are respecting and it's humanity, isn't it, coming to the fore, appreciating it? It is, it is humanity. I mean, Einstein had autism. You know, I mean, the world has been changed by people with autism. You know, I mean, yeah. if you if yeah. you go through the history of humanity, some of the great people, you know, who have who have just changed humanity may have had autism. You know, yeah. so it's quite. Uh, we need to really acknowledge this, and yeah. you know, really move on. Yeah. Suma, I really appreciate talking with you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I'm going to harness your intelligence and knowledge on ADHD at another point. 
And I'm really looking forward to that discussion as well. But I really do appreciate you coming tonight and having a chat and educating us on this very, very important subject. So thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Hopefully people are uh, can you know listen to that podcast and get inspired and you know join Charles Catry. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Zoom as much as I did today. It certainly has expanded my interest and understanding of this very complex autism spectrum disorder. And next week, we have another very interesting guest in Clinical Problems Review, and I invite you to join me again then. During the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guest interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and may be emailed to manager at gihealth.com.au.